The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 184, Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all the pages expressed in the show are my own and that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence I prevailed to as a result of my current employment. I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, folks, we were off last week to the Memorial Day holiday in the U.S., Hopefully, everybody had a chance to uh, take a break and unwind and, you know, never forget those that have fallen in service to the United States government and to protect our country. <clears throat> Thank you all that have served, currently serving, and all your families for their sacrifices. Um, well, listen, folks, two weeks ago, we had return guest, president and CEO of X Analytics, John Frazzini, back on the show. He's a friend of the show, return guest, and it's always fun to have John on as he's keeping a pulse on what's going on in cyber economics and how cyber economics is being applied to the supply chain risk management and what's going on in that space these days. John also talked about the board of directors and how they're going to be putting, soon be putting pressure on CISOs to drive the cyber economic conversation and to help CISOs be a part of the business conversation. Let's face it, folks, we got to do, we got to do better as CISOs making making what we do more relevant to the business, especially right now. We got to help folks understand what's going on out there so they can get the right resources and funding to make this thing happen and put your companies in a better position to be successful. John also predicted, uh, made the prediction that zero trust architecture could eliminate many security products and that a cybersecurity day of reckoning is coming. Well, folks, it was interesting. If you missed all that, don't sweat it. Run at least... 11 different playback mediums. You can find us everywhere. That was episode number 183. Will zero trust architecture create a cybersecurity day of reckoning? Well, folks, we, we got the co-founder and CEO of Sevco Security, JJ Guy, on the show tonight. JJ is the co-founder and CEO of Sevco Security, which is an enterprise security company helping IT and security operations teams operationalize asset management. Before Sevco, JJ was a CTO of JASC, the first cloud-native SaaS SIEM platform acquired by Sumo Logic in 2019. JJ was also part of the founding team at Carbon Black, where they created the first endpoint telemetry platform, which Gartner later branded endpoint detection and response, right? The EDR industry. Carbon Black's telemetry enabled the industry to operationalize detection and response as part of the day-to-day operations at a speed and efficiency not possible with traditional DFIR tools. 
Before Carbon Black, JJ spent 12 years with various federal teams doing offensive network operations where he built his security foundation in vulnerability research, exploitation, enterprise networks, and software development. He's been preaching about the inevitability of compromise since 2002. He's excited the rest of the world finally recognizes his problems, so he's no longer that crazy government guy. He's got a bachelor's in computer engineering from Case Western Reserve University and a master's in computer science from Johns Hopkins University. It's my pleasure to introduce co-founder and CEO of Sevco Security, JJ Guy. JJ, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, brother. Andy, thanks. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. Look, I, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Your background's phenomenal. And I always love seeing you know, people coming out of the military or the government that have just been at the forefront of dealing with adversaries and then making that transition into the private sector and really killing it. And man, you're, you're a shining star example of that. So um, I can't wait to dive in. I'd love, I'd love for you to just kind of start out with, you know, just what was that time? What were you doing in the Air Force and, and what was that time and how did, it, how did it help you transition out and what were your big lessons learned? Oh, yeah. Like not a small question there, Andy. Thanks for <laughs> We've got time. We've got time. Um, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, man, I'm super lucky. Um, the uh, I got to join. Let's see. I started in the Air Force in 1999 um, and then just happened to end up in a security position. Um, the, uh, that was luck of the draw um, in the initial assignment coming out of the Air Force personnel world. Um, the uh, But that was a time when the Air Force was... Um, the, uh, and the broader DOD, uh, you know, they were grappling with what we now call the inevitability of compromise. Um, the, uh, and we were recognizing the fact that, you know, the targeted attackers uh, that continue to exploit uh, the DOD systems, we couldn't stop them. Um, the, uh, uh, and that was back in like 99, 2000, 2001, 2002. Um, the, uh, you know, in the commercial sector, we started to recognize that here and I don't know, call it you know, 2010, 2012, some, somewhere along that kind of time frame. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, um, and we were learning those lessons there 10 years before. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, that launched me on to um, a security path, and I've never left. Yeah, it's funny, right? Once you get that bug, you know, you like, you just get, you latch onto it because the, the mission is just so great. Um, but, but look, man, the work that you guys were doing back then, early on, you know, the, um, you know, before Mandiant was created and all this stuff. I mean, you guys are all in the Air Force doing different things. Um, you know, what was some of the big takeaways that you guys had in terms of like, you know, whether technology or mindset or methodology that you took from your time there that you created or, or folks you work with created and pulled it out into the private sector? Right. You know, the one that, uh, of course, there's a ton. I mean, the Air Force is huge, and there's a lot of folks that um, are in industry today on the commercial side um, that came out of that same period of time of early 2000s um, Air Force. Um, the, uh, uh, the one that maybe is top of mind today for us is the, you know, the continuous process of protection, detection, and response. Um, the, uh, that was codified for most of us publicly in, what was that, 2014 when NIST published the cybersecurity framework? Um, the, uh, um, that I first heard those words in 2006. I mean, I still remember um, that uh, it was Greg Rattray. He was, I think he was still active duty at the time in 06. Um, the, uh, um, and uh, what struck me and why I remember that is because we had spent the prior five years 
trying to articulate the challenge of operating a network when you know compromise is inevitable. Um, and how do you even think about it, right? That uh, we were still in the mindset of static protections where security is a noun um, and coming to understand security is a verb. Um, the, uh, and, uh, you know, that simple moniker of a continuous process of detection, detection, and response just tied it all together. Um, and now, like on the commercial side, like I think we are still embracing that and coming to recognize it. Yeah. So, so you bring up a good point around you know, you know, kind of the private sector being kind of behind in, in this space. And, and I think there's probably two parts to that. And I'd love to get your take on it. Like one is the private sector, just like private sector security teams. And then there's the executive leadership teams of companies that are making business decisions as cybersecurity as a data point to drive their business. What are you seeing in the, in the shift around, you know, executive leaders having to think about security differently even when their security shops are now probably still behind, like what, how do we bridge that gap? Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, a lot goes into that. Um, I think one of the, um, the major shifts is to recognize first the inevitability of compromise. Um, the, uh, um, it's not a matter of um, if you will be compromised, it's a matter of when. Yeah. Um, the, uh, um, and there's a transition in here as, that ha as well from, you know, in the early 2010s, like we've been doing security as an industry, it's a commercial industry for a long time. Um, but in the early 2000s, it was mostly opportunistic attackers. Uh, their motivations were scale of access. Um, they were monetizing their access based off of, you know, um, the uh, stealing your bandwidth or compute cycles on your computer. Um, they were running... Um, click fraud operations, spam operations, whatever. Um, they, uh, um, but the impact to those compromises um, was not to the business itself, but to third parties. Uh, economists call that a negative externality. Um, the, uh, and like to the business, it was you know, mostly an annoyance. Um, the, uh, uh, and the level of investment in security reflected that. Um, well, what's happened... Um, somewhere around the 2010s, well, cyber criminals recognized it was cheaper and lower risk to run um, the uh, to steal credit cards digitally than it was to run drugs, and they started shifting their operations to cybercrime. Um, they uh, well now they were figuring out how they could monetize that digital access, um, and um, the impact of those compromises um, targeted businesses directly, um, and uh, that's changed um, the dynamics across the board. Yeah, for sure, man. So, for, so look, you, you've had, you know, a lot of success, you know, in your government time and you've come out and you've had, you know, a couple successful companies. Um, kind of talk to me a little bit about how you got started, you know, when you, when you transitioned out of the government and, uh, you know, started your first, you know, your first private sector venture. Yeah. Um, the, uh, um, that was mostly luck and timing, man. Like everything else in life. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, you know, I had, uh, um, by that point I was in, uh, DC working for a defense contractor doing a bunch of spooky computer stuff with an awesome team. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, um, that was a very talented team that has spawned a whole lot of other um, companies, not just my own thread. Um, they, uh, I think of it all as the family tree and like we got a big trunk there um, and that was part of the trunk. Um, that uh, uh, I ended up 
though, was the boss and the bridge between the defense contractor and the awesome team, and it wasn't very fun. Um, they uh, ended up getting married, moving away from D.C., and trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with phase two of my career. And that transition between federal life and commercial life is really tough. Um, I've, I've helped a number of folks through it. Like, if anybody's listening to this and trying to go through it, reach out. Um, I'm happy to help you figure out how to think through it. Um, the, uh, but I ended up getting real lucky because a couple guys that I had worked with previously in that same team, uh, Mike Viscuso and Ben Johnson, um, they uh, um, had left a couple years earlier um, and uh, gotten something going called Carbon Black. And they were at the point um, the, uh, where they were going to get some venture funding for it. They knew I was in transition. We'd worked together before, and they called me and asked me if I wanted to be a part of it. Um, they, uh, uh, that was late 2012 when we got that going. Um, the, uh, um, and of course, that was a great ride. We ended up getting acquired by what was then Bit9 um, in February 14, about 15 months yep. after that initial venture round. Um, the, uh, um, and Bit9, we called ourselves Bit9 plus Carbon Black for a couple of years. I'm sure you all remember that. Um, yep. the, uh, um, that uh, the brand guys called that forced reconsideration. Um, they ought to force anyone who is familiar with either brand to reconsider the new entity in uh, um, the light of both. Um, and uh, um, eventually just became Carbon Black and uh, IPO'd there in uh, 2018 before getting acquired by VMware. That's a good run right there, brother. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, you know, that, uh, the company, just to put some numbers to it, I mean, uh, in, like, when Bit9 acquired uh, Carbon Black in February 14, that company was 120 people post-acquisition. And when we IPO'd in 18, I think we were about 1,200 employees. Good for you. So, man, I'd love to look. We're gonna we're gonna transition to another segment here in a little bit, but I, I do want to uh, give you a chance to chat a little bit about your current venture, Sevco Security. What what problem are you solving there? Um, the uh, we're still trying to figure out what label to put on it. Um, the uh, you know asset management is the most generic thing that's in the right direction, um, yeah. but that triggers up all the wrong kind of um, the uh, uh, baggage associated with it. Um, I, uh, fundamentally. I have long thought the next big thing in IT security is going to be an improvement in basic IT practices. Um, the, uh, uh, the more and more breaches we have where root cause analysis shows that it's a failure to follow best practices um, of basic user and device management, um, the, uh, the more and more pressure we're going to see on you know, um, doing a good job with the basics of user and device management. Um, However, one of the things I've learned as a startup guy is that uh, it doesn't matter how right your ideas are unless there's critical mass of industry that agrees with you and is ready to invest money in um, the, uh, solving those problems. You don't have a business. Um, and I'm tickled because I think the window is opening on organizations being ready to invest in improving their discipline around something as simple as knowing where their devices are. Um, they, uh, and yep. I'm we moved the needle once with Carbon Black on industry um, the, uh, by allowing folks to operationalize detection and response in a way they couldn't with uh, in-case and volatility. Um, and I am super excited to be able to do that same thing again as organizations operationalize asset management. Man, I think, I think you're 100% spot on. And I got tons of questions for you around this space because it, it is continuously coming up. Um, so we're going to, we're going to hit that next, but all right, folks, we had a transition to a commercial break. So, Hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 radio on your favorite social media plat platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram and searching at TF7 radio. And you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at TF7 radio.com. That's george.redis at TF7. That's the number seven folks. 
radio.com. We're going to pause for a quick message from our sponsor. We'll be right back with co-founder and CEO of Sevco Security, JJ Guy. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with co-founder and CEO of Sevco Security, JJ Guy. I got to tell you, brother, that name is fun to say on the radio, bro. That like really is awesome. Good for you. I, we got to have you back just so I can say it more. I love it. So, so look, man, the, 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 you know, Sevco and what you're trying to dial in, I, I've had this conversation with a few other folks in the industry, and I think you are onto something here. You know, the, the, the basics are just so fundamentally important and companies are moving so quickly. Um, but they, the fact that they just don't know what they have is just still such a big problem. It's like, how can we fight a battle 
when you don't know what the landscape looks like, right? Or we're flying completely blind. And so I think you're, you're onto something here. What are some of the, um, you know, challenges you think you're, you know, you're, you're really solving for folks and how are you, how are you guys tackling at Subco? Yeah. Um, it's mostly a problem of complexity, Andy. Um, the, uh, um, you know, you sh- we've been doing asset management as an activity um, the, uh, in the IT shop for 20 years. It hadn't changed. Um, and the tools we use mostly haven't changed. Um, the, uh, but meanwhile, the face of enterprise computing uh, has changed pretty dramatically. I mean, uh, the, the tools we use today in the IT shop um, the, uh, for getting an inventory of our assets and the ones we use for the compliance functions to point to the auditors, whether you're regulated by the NIST cybersecurity framework or the CIS top 20 or ISO 27K01, like they all include asset management and have for decades as a critical function. And we point them to our vulnerability scanner or Active Directory or some you know, record like that and say, here you go, we've got a good answer. Um, but one of the things those of us in the trenches recognize is that um, the, the data is always wrong. Like no one believes the data in their CMDB. Um, a, uh, you always hear it's somewhere between 40% and maybe 80% accurate. Uh, nobody has confidence in it greater than that. And they all know that whatever inventory system they look at is reporting a subset of the whole. Um, over the course of the last 20 years, like we've had dramatic shifts in enterprise computing, uh, the increase in mobile devices. Like 20 years ago, everything was a big beige box on a desk. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, you know, right. today, um, it's all laptops, mobile devices, multiple devices per person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've got the degradation of the enterprise perimeter, the SASification of enterprise applications. And they, uh, I know, all of these have dramatically, the cloud computing, right? I forgot cloud computing. Um, they uh, dramatically change in the kinds of assets um, and the shape and motion of those assets across the enterprise. Um, they, uh, and the tools have not shifted. Um, they, uh, at the same time, um, the business world has changed. Uh, security has become a more important part of IT. Um, the, uh, like the, um, as a result of the targeted attackers starting to target data um, that is critical to business function. And IT has become more a more important part of every business. That's the whole digital transformation line. Yeah, they, uh, and all of that is continuing to put pressure on basic IT practices. And it effectively means what we did 20 years ago that was good enough then is not good enough any longer. So, look, I mean, there's a, a few different ways to kind of solve that, right? If, you, if, if the assets that, you know, the systems that are there are either not up to date or um, don't have the right coverage, you know, kind of, there's, I guess, a few ways to kind of solve for that. And I'd love to get your take on how you guys are thinking to solve for it. But you, I mean, are you guys looking to, um, you know, age, from an agentless perspective, kind of leverage the data that exists within the company and aggregate it into one place to figure out the asset inventory? Or how are you yeah, guys yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, it all starts with first knowing something exists. Um, and having a good record and a comprehensive record um, in the aggregate um, that makes sense. Uh, this is not a new requirement. Um, the, uh, 
Um, and this kind of building we see in the industry to the point where we're ready to invest in asset management tools again is also not new. I mean, we were getting feature requests in carbon, at Carbon Black as far back as, uh, you know, maybe 15, 2015 um, from clients asking us to do stuff like, um, hey, help me import all the list of machines from Active Directory and then make sure they're running the Carbon Black agent on them because Carbon Black is a yeah. critical part of my overall security controls. And I want to make sure that if it's in AD, it's running Carbon Black. And guess what? We found out that that's hard um, the, uh, to keep the CB agent running on everything that's in AD. Well, that presumes that AD is correct. Um, the, uh, uh, that's every other endpoint vendor started to get those same requests. Like that's why you see today, Tanium has their asset management module. Um, CrowdStrike has one, Sentinel One has one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the endpoint vendors are putting in um, neighbor discovery features. We'll report up the other machines on the local LAN segment. Um, the, uh, and those are great platforms, right? Um, the, uh, similarly, like Armis had go, gone in to start and solve the uh, medical device problem. Like uh, that's a huge challenge in healthcare. Um, the uh, because like those medical devices are so terribly implemented from a technology perspective, you can't scan them with your vulnerability scanner. Um, they are you know they're active scans because they'll fall over. Like and everybody in healthcare has a situation where somebody fat figured something in Qualys and uh, killed a NICU device. Um, they uh, while there was a infant um, attached to it. Like it's absolutely terrible. Um, they, uh, uh, and Armis emerged in that space you know, as a passive network sniffer because um, that was the only tool you could use for that job uh, to help build an inventory of those devices. Um, they, uh, now, those are all great platforms, um, and they're great pieces of technology and sources of data. Um, they, uh, but uh, the challenge um, when you think about it from a broader perspective is they're a subset of the whole. Um, the, uh, and in order to answer this asset management problem, like you need tools to be able to go um, get a view of the whole, regardless how your organization is configured, structured, um, the, uh, where your resources are. Um, if you're a totally distributed enterprise with you know, few or no centralized resources, your cloud native company and everything's um, up in the cloud or you have the big on-prem office in a you know, 40 story high rise building downtown, or you've got a, you know, 150 satellite offices scattered across the globe with 50 people each. Um, they, uh, uh, we're taking the approach of um, API integration into all your existing systems. Um, they, uh, that allows us to pull rich metadata from all of those sources of inventory um, they, uh, and ensure complete coverage. Uh, the magic there is that like, that aligns our product promise with customer problems. Like as a, as a client, um, having to manage um, the, your network infrastructure, you know, you don't have the privilege of um, saying, I don't have to worry about those devices because I don't have a way to measure it. Like you, if the organization owns it and it's processing corporate data, you got to deal with it. Um, they, uh, um, and you need to be able a tool to be able to go take a look at it. Uh, there's very few products out there that align their product promise. Um, the, uh, of complete and actually truly comprehensive asset inventory from any source uh, with those um, problems. And I love it. So, so that then starts to blur the line a little bit in the CISO responsibility of infrastructure. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation where people are going, man, you should, you know, you've got all this aggregated data into your, you know, your seam. Why don't you 
or in the data lake, you know, why don't you own the asset inventory at your own security? Because you have yeah. a, probably a more comprehensive view of it than IT does. Right, right. Yeah. Andy, that's, it's a fascinating topic. I mean, we've been going with Civco for about a year now. Um, and we're still very much in the discovery mode, like building good products is really tough in the IT ecosystem um, because we're so diverse. Um, the, uh, and even having lived in this world for so long um, the, uh, and having such strong domain knowledge, um, it's tough to get it right. Um, the, uh, so we're very much in a listening mode and asking every CISO we talk to, like, how does this work in your organization? Um, and uh, in general, everybody's having the conversation. Um, the, uh, it's in general security teams right now that are recognizing there's a problem. Um, the, uh, I think that's because they've invested very heavily in their detection and response procedures over the course of the last 10 years or so, um, have matured those to the point where now they recognize that uh, they're not getting popped anymore because like their endpoint security tools aren't good enough. They're getting popped because they're simply not there. Uh, I mean, hell, there was a um, the, in last year's Verizon data breach report. They made that point about patch management. Um, the, uh, you know, that the evidence that they were pulling shows that it's not that, you know, our patch management tools don't work. Uh, it's that they're just not there at all. And you continue to see that in like the um, the, the breach reports, um, the, like with Equifax, for an example, I would never have expected to see a U.S. senator um, in congressional testimony, um, the uh, railing against um, the uh, Equifax for a failure of their asset management program. But it's right there. Um, yep. the, uh, Front and center. Uh, it's incredible. Um, the, uh, what's super interesting is how the relationship between the CISO and IT operations plays out in the midst of that conversation. Because while it's the security teams that have the requirement, um, they, uh, it's you know generally the IT operations teams that have the responsibility for it. Um, and like the way that usually plays out is like a security guy will say, "Hey, you know, you know, I've got uh, my endpoint agent um, deployed on um, uh, seventeen thousand systems." Um, they, uh, and then he goes over to the IT departments like, hey, how many should it be deployed on? Right, what's the total number? And nobody knows. Like, that's not a question that has ever been asked um, of the IT department. Uh, the closest thing has been the asset management functions, but asset management is truly a finance function. It's capital expenditures until they depreciate off the balance sheet. Uh, those are reports that go to accounting. Um, they, uh, everything else has been mostly trumped by availability. And if there's not a person picking up the phone um, and calling to say something's broke, then... Um, there's other things to spend time on. Yep. T totally fair. So where, where are you seeing that shift in like, especially for smaller companies, you know, that may be just starting out, like what would be the advice of, you know, would you hire a CIO that has a really strong security background or, you know, someone that comes out of the CISO world that can manage infrastructure? Where, where would you give your guidance right now to smaller companies on that? Um, good question for smaller companies too, especially um, the, uh, you know, my perspective is biased. I'll admit that straight up. Um, the, uh, like I, I cut my teeth in the military and the Air Force. And um, the, uh, of course, we're all um, the uh, um, slaves to our upbringing here and our pedigrees. Um, one of the things I think that is fascinating is in the Air Force IT infrastructure, there was no such thing as a CISO as distinct from the CIO. Like there was the IT executive. Um, and he owned IT operations and security operations, um, and those grew together. Um, what's fascinating here in the commercial sector is that you know that this that the one that the CISO position was ever created. 
Like at some point, security became important enough that a mid-level manager, director-level function got promoted to a C-suite um, to properly represent the risk to the board. Well, I guess that was because the CIOs at the time um, weren't able to get their hands wrapped around it. Well, and then we had this trend where they got moved out of the CIO's organization. Um, the, uh, um, and now we're starting to the beginning of another trend where there's a critical function, this operations function for core IT ops and all the infrastructure um, the, uh, um, that um, has key security implications. Um, the, uh, and where continued investment in security is providing diminishing returns um, because you have more critical problems in the underpinnings of the enterprise infrastructure. Um, the, uh, um, like to circle back to your question you actually asked, um, the, uh, my thinking goes there. Like those aren't two roles, man. Um, they, uh, they're not yeah. two separate seats. They're one. Um, they, uh, you have your enterprise infrastructure inclusive of operations um, and security. And then you have enterprise applications that help the business run more efficiently on top of it. It's going to be an interesting thing because I think, you know, historically people have viewed CIOs coming up from a tech background and CISOs coming in from some sort of security, intelligence community, law enforcement background. And, you know, folks like you and I that come out of, you know, places where you get access to both, you know, are a little different than most folks, right? So do you anticipate, you know, this trend of, um, you know, kind of the, the, the silos that get created to some extent because of where you came from. And if you're born out of technology, being in that CIO track, you're born out of the law enforcement intelligence community, you know, military background that didn't have that kind of convergence, you know, in your operation. Do you, do you think that's going to continue or do you think we're going to get enough talent coming out of the government that have seen both of those? Um, or how do we bridge that gap? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, uh, that's not a question I've thought deeply about, so you're going to get an off-the-cuff response here. Um, the, uh, um, I'm going to refute the premise of your question there a little bit, Andy. Um, cool. The, um, Go for it. It's, yeah. Like um, you're, you're tying to it a domain knowledge that is required for um, holding that executive-level position. Um, and, like, don't get me wrong, some of that's certainly true. Um, but um, I, I think the key distinction there is more of a – culture and a mindset that's operations versus administration like are you running an uh, operation with kind of day-to-day you know you're in the fight um the uh, regularly increasing your discipline um and um you know the steady execution cadence or are you more of an administrative mindset thinking grc processes procedures governance you know running tickets um that's going to drive. I hope I never hear the word ticket again. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both brother. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I love, I love where you're taking that. Right. Cause I think that's the fundamental conversation that not only do practitioners need to have about what they want their programs to be, but I think when people build the CISO function into their company, what's the goal of security for you as a company? And then that sets a tone from the top down in terms of, that CIO CISO relationship, is it converge and how does that all tie together for what goal, right? To move the business in the, in the what direction and how does that get built out? Because if it's just that compliance function, to your point, you start to just work on checking boxes, mm-hmm. checking boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the creativity of really smart practitioners gets stifled um, and they get bored and, and there's no fun. Um, so I, I think that's a really cool way to think about it. Um, yes. And that, uh, um, you know, that's triggering the whole talk track of being compliant is not secure. That's right. They, uh, like, and that oftentimes gets conflated when, you know, it's the form over function thing, right? Um, as you're driven by policy and procedures, um, those overtake uh, the reality on the ground. Um, and you can go check all the boxes and still not be secure. Um, the, uh, and like our world is certainly like that. Anyone in operations world will tell you that because the situation on the ground changes all the time. Um, you know, there's a, uh, there's a difference here that for me is a guy who now builds security tools for a living. Um, on the security shops, um, the, the value to the organization comes from the people. Um, they're managing the operation to ensure that the network is, um, and secure is a bad word here, let's stay resilient um, and agile. Um, the, uh, um, and the tools we build, the tools I build to provide to them, that's a tool in their tool bag to help them do their job more effectively. Um, in the classic IT side, the value to the business comes from the product you buy. Um, the, uh, and, and the people are a tax on top. Um, the, uh, like I, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked in a conversation when talking to security buyers, uh, oh, how many people does it take to administer your platform? Like, and as soon as that question comes across, I'm, like, you get put in a bucket. Um, the, uh, um, and I recognize the culture of that security shop um, is still rooted in the administrative policy and compliance mindsets. Yeah. Do, are you, what's your take on when people ask you, well, what piece of technology can, do you displace? Like, what can I get rid of if I bring you in? Where's your head on that question? Oh, man. Um, the, uh, um, uh, that's too contextually um, the uh, specific, maybe, for me to give you a general answer. Um, the, uh, we certainly have a problem with tool sprawl today um, in the enterprise, um, and especially on the security side. Um, the, uh, I think that's some amount of you know, the heavy investment. We've been moving very quickly to try to get our hands wrapped around this. Um, the, uh, uh, there's a lot of redundancies, um, the, uh, and we need more maturity in the overall stack. Um, you know, that's one direction with Sevco, for instance, that's super interesting. Um, the, uh, as we get our head wrapped around this more effectively, um, like um, a principle for me um, the, uh, and Sevco as a business um, is to build an asset database um, that you can trust um, so that you don't have this problem where all your existing systems, you can't trust their completeness. Um, the, uh, and we don't want to recreate the wheel, though. Um, like, uh, the, like we oftentimes get asked the question, okay, what now? What next? I got all this beautiful data. What do I do with it? Um, and to me, that question sometimes is a little shocking because you have existing procedures to kind of fix the hygiene problems that we surface. Um, the, uh, they're usually wrapped around your CMDB and or ticketing system. Um, the, uh, and like those teams, like there's no problem with those processes. There's no problem with the teams that execute them. Um, the, uh, the problem is the data. Um, and if the data in that CMDB um, was just you know, up to date, more effective, um, the, uh, more accurate, well then like those processes would be more effective as a result. Um, they, uh, um, and it's that kind of mindset where we've got to stop thinking about layering band-aids on top of all these different systems and like rethinking from brass tacks, like first principles all the way up 
um, how to make our existing systems and existing procedures more effective. So if I capture it right, it's basically, let's get back to the basics. <laughs> let's yes. get back to the basics, start it over right, and just start making sure we've got the right things in place so we can not try to make this thing too complex. Because um, I think that's, you know, the speed at which we're operating and the, the lackadaisical nature of keeping these systems up to date is creating a lot of gaps. Um, cool, man. Well, look, I, I got tons more for you, but we're, we're going to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. Don't go away, folks. We're right back with more from co-founder and CEO of Sevco Security, JJ Guy. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S I N E T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. 
Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with co-founder and CEO of Sevco Security, JJ Guy. Well, man, you know, we've been touching on your transition out of the government and all the cool stuff that you built and changing the industry, you know, in the product space. But, you know, you know, we talk, it all, it all started in your first week on the job, right? When you found your first O-Day. What was that all about? What was that like? Right. Yeah. Um, dude, it was amazing, honestly. Um, the uh, uh, talk about an endorphin rush. Um, the, uh, it's like hunting for gold. You know it's there, but if you just keep pulling and then all of a sudden you stumble across it. Um, and in your first week, dude, most people in the wait. First like week, that's ever. right. Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, and that was in, uh, like, that was in Internet Explorer, um, the, uh, um, which at the time was still one of the most popular browsers. That was probably 05 um, the, uh, when I in that role. Um, you know, that uh, that was an awesome team. Um, that was a, a group of vulnerability researchers, exploitation guys, kernel developers, um, the, uh, and very much in the brass tacks supporting the U.S. intelligence community and um, the uh, support of all those operations. Um, and if anything, like O'Day, like at the time, we didn't recognize was very real. Um, today, um, the, uh, we've had much more evidence of that, you know, in the 15 years since. And I think we all take that for granted. But one of the things that we still as an industry, I'm not sure really fully internalize um, is um, if a targeted attacker is interested in coming after you and your organization, they will find a way. It's all about the number of resources they invest and the focus um, the, uh, and the time spent on your organization and all the different myriad of attack vectors that they could use to get into it. So I mean, what, what do you, look, if you play that out, right? I mean, it's like, we tell people all the time, right? It's going to happen. And everyone's like, well, when it's, you know, when's it going to happen to me? Well, does it happen, you know, in a week, month, six months, a year? Like, why should I spend the money now? And I think too many people are still thinking about it won't happen to me. Right. What, what, what do you what do you tell people when yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I spent a number of years. Um, I mean, since I was dealing with the targeted attackers, um, the uh, you know ten years before everybody in the commercial industry, um, I spent a lot of years in the late two thousands and the early twenty tens advocating for the uh, the inevitability of compromise, where it operate under the assumption of breach. Um, and I could tell all this great story since I'd spent, you know, 15 years at that point breaking into computer networks, um, all the different ways I could break into your computer network. Um, the, uh, and like, that's a fun story. I'll come back for another session and we'll, uh, we'll talk about attack vectors. Love it. Um, the, uh, um, but that, what was so interesting is at the end of that, um, everyone would agree, wow, yes, you're right. But it still wouldn't translate into this sense of urgency to do something about it. Um, the, uh, and I spent a lot of, like, that was a disconnect. Um, like, their brains were firing on the reason of it, but their hearts weren't. Um, and I spent a lot of time digging into that and just asking why. Um, and I finally figured out the common thread. Like, everybody says, it won't happen to me. Um, the, uh, like, this is um, a problem um, the, uh, um, that luckily your local philosophy professor knows and understands like they call it hume's problem um, it's a problem of inductive reasoning uh, we as humans are just naturally wired to give too much credibility to our own experiences even when those experiences have little or no bearing on the likelihood of those events occurring in the future um, and that happens in organizations with cybersecurity every single day uh, despite the fact that in our heads we say, yes, compromise is inevitable, in our hearts, when it translates into action, we always tend to think it won't happen to me. Uh, there's a great story, the Bertrand Russell, he was a, 
you know, um, a British philosopher, um, economist back in the early 1900s talks about the story of the farmer and the chicken. Um, you know, and the chicken's got a pretty good life. Um, they, uh, he's got food and shelter um, they, uh, provided by you know, the farmer. Um, the uh, safety protects him from you know, the wolves and all the other predators. The farmer comes out there every day and spreads food on the ground uh, until one day it's time for dinner. Um, and the farmer reaches down and instead of providing food, grabs that chicken by the neck and wrings it. Uh, nothing in the life of that chicken could have prepared him for that moment. Yeah, they, uh, and that's the situation ran with security folks every day. Um, so true. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. And then you're in full crisis mode. The pocketbook right. opens up. What do we need to do to fix it? And at the end of the day, it's probably a result of we didn't work smart. We worked hard. Um, yes, um, the, uh, that, that echoes the back to basics we talked about in the previous segment. Like in my, what we opened with even earlier, my personal just uh, philosophy that um, like the next big thing in IT security is going to be basic IT practices. Um, they, uh, um, that, uh, you know, as an industry, uh, we have been focused for way too long on, you know, the sexy stuff, um, the uh, some fancy algorithm that's going to stop the attacker, uh, more detection gadgets, this and that and the other. Um, and, and we've made some great investments. I don't want to diminish any of that. There's some great products out there, um, but we can't continue to invest in all of those fancy technologies while continuing to ignore the basics. You know, yep. I mean, the, uh, you know every organization has got, you know, the material breach on their risk register somewhere um, and like every risk assessment comes down to likelihood versus impact like and when it comes to estimating the likelihood of uh, a material breach how do you do it like when what we tend to do is we look at all this investment we've made in all these security technologies and think like wow there's no way that we could ever get breached because look at all this work we're doing um, the, uh, but when you recognize that um, it's way less about you and way more about the attacker motivations and how quickly they can monetize the uh, data inside your organization um, the, uh, and how much that's worth to them um, the, uh, um, uh, and how much resources they have to invest in their time or research for, you know, that O-Day um, uh, to find that, uh, to get that initial toehold. Um, they, uh, um, and that has little or nothing to do with the amount you've invested in your security program. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, um, all of those fancy um, boxes, uh, bells and whistles and alerts and this and that and the other, like they don't do you a, a bit of good um, if you're still um, not very effective on the overall basics. Yeah. That's it, man. Stick to the basics. I love it. Well, brother, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And dude, since you have such a cool name and you had a great background, we're going to have to have you back because I got to say your name on the radio again because it's just too fun. Andy, thanks a lot. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I look forward to getting the chance to do it again. Thanks for having me. All right, brother. Appreciate you. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up and out of here. Before we go to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, 
please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.